Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm good. Um, uh, and, and in part, uh, I'm good because uh, listeners, um, we are continue, continuing, uh, our, like I can speak this morning, um, our series about uh, federal government departments. Yes, and Augie's going to sing this one to us <laughs> in the form of a Broadway show <laughs> that may or may not involve rap. And, and How's reason, that for a teaser? Yeah, for a teaser. Well, in particular, okay, um, one of the reasons why uh, I, I've contemplated um, um, uh, doing a musical about the Treasury Department, the focus of today's episode, is because the first Secretary of the Treasury, Nia, was whom? Alexander Hamilton. So in the finest, if you Which, will, Broadway I'm, tradition, okay, um, you know, Miranda uh, can go ahead and do a, 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 a musical about Hamilton. Let's broaden the scope. Let's do a musical about the Treasury Department. <laughs> you know, and I get why Hamilton, uh, first of all, I get the draw of that show because oh, yeah. Hamilton's life was interesting, right? It was very yes. sort of okay. this, it was made for TV drama type. I mean, if yeah. he, he would be a Telenova if he were currently, uh, I mean, currently alive. He's got such an interesting life. And I mean that in the best possible way, by the way, because Telenovas are fabulous. If you're ever in a hotel and oh. you can get Telenova, just watch. It doesn't matter if you don't know who the characters are. In 20 minutes, you will know what's going on. They will explain everything to you. All of the actors are beautiful. All the actresses are beautiful. The whole thing is, and they're lush. They're just... Yeah, if you They're have fabulous. to stay stay home sick, okay? Telenova is your way to go. Okay, flip through your cable and see if they have some channels showing Telenova. I mean, it, it, it's just great stuff, ah, okay? They're awesome. Uh, yes, okay? They're, they, may, they put our soap operas to shame. <laughs> our soap operas look like poor cousins of, of Telenovas. <laughs> Telenovas are always fabulous. So anyway, I, I'm intrigued by the idea of the Treasury Department, because I think it was pretty controversial, wasn't it? This idea that we even needed a sort yeah. of centralized yeah. financial uh, situation. And you get people now who are like, down with the Fed, away with Treasury, fiat money. I don't, you know, I don't like any of it. So I think, wow, in 250 years, we're still having the same argument. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, is, <laughs> it is truly remarkable as I was doing research, Nia. For this episode, um, how long-standing criticisms of the <laughs> Treasury Department actually? Have yeah, had. I mean, like <laughs> modernly, nobody really thinks we don't need a State Department, which was our last department. If you missed that episode, we did one on the State Department. Nobody does. Nobody says, "Ah, down with the State Department. We don't need those stupid diplomats. Just, just go out in the world and do things, right? Like, well, maybe a few people say that, but it's not particularly controversial. Controversial. I mean, but because, man, you bring up treasury and boy, everybody has an opinion. It's 
and, 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 and we'll get to some of the more current, if you will, critiques, but you are correct. <laughs> the idea of creating a treasury department, I mean, so on one hand, I mean, this idea of a treasury department really did flow from one of the central issues of the Revolutionary War in the United States, um, which was um, the colonies did not have a consistent source of revenue to fund their war effort, right? I mean, they basically had to rely- Right, because we sold all our stuff, most of our stuff to England. Uh, yes. And right? the way that works is when they sanction you, right? When they stop buying your stuff, you run out of money. Or they tax it at such a high level that British citizens no longer want to purchase Colonial Again, goods. you run out of money. Or you run out of money. All, all of these, all of these scenarios come back to, and you run out of money. Out of money, and it's not <laughs> like the Brits, the, the British government, okay, was going to go ahead and give the colonies money to fight a war against the British government. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is that and, isn't right, exactly. Happen. They weren't. They weren't quite that uh, fair-minded. Let's say. We'll give so, your side some money, then we'll fight it out. We'll see who wins. Yeah, that's not how that's going to work ever. So even after the Revolutionary War, um, you know, you get to the Articles of Confederation, the first form of government after colonial government, right? So, but in the Articles of Confederation, it was a loose alliance of sovereign states. And the way it was set up was the states could make contributions to the central government, but there was no enforcement mechanism if a particular state said, yeah, we're not making our annual contribution this year. Or we're gonna make partial contributions. Contributions, right? So there was no enforcement mechanism. And oh yeah, by the way, guess who still wanted money from debts incurred before and during the Revolutionary War. That'd be the British. The, the British. But they... also, we also, part of what I think people need to remember about wars is that one, you have to pay people to fight them, right? So we owed money to soldiers, but yes. also you pay other countries for things like arms or food or Whatever thing, Unless like think about the fact that in, in the revolution, if you have all the men going off to fight, then you have farming that may or may not be lost. And in some instances was lost. And so that food has to be made up by other nations, as you can see right now in the conflict with Ukraine and Russia, right? Both sides are importing food that they might have grown themselves, except they're busy fighting a war because that's how wars work. And if you don't have the industrial capacity already in place, you're going to have to go to other nations and get arms, clothing, uniforms, other kinds of materials. And that all costs money. Right. Okay. In companies. In, in, in some countries will do least to own. Yes. Right? You pay for a little bit and you eventually own it. The United yes. States did that with Britain during World War II, I World think. Two. But, yes, we did. But there's somebody, you're going to owe somebody at the end of a war. Whether you win or lose, your side is going to owe somebody. Owe somebody. And we owed a whole bunch of money. I was going to say, it was not an insubstantial amount, right? Because, you know. And, and so. Revolutions are not cheap. 
<laughs> they're not. Um, so we scrapped the Articles of Confederation. We ratify a new constitution. Um, and Yay, the, constitution. And the second department that the United States Congress created after the State Department was um, uh, Department of Treasury. At what um, date? And that would be, uh, you got it somewhere in my note. Oh, excuse me. Yes. September 2nd, 1789. Yes. And that's the same time we get the State Department. Yes. Well, it's two months later, but that's when we get the name of the State Department. State Department remember, yes. it started out as like the Department of some dudes, and then it became the State Department in September. Yes. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the Department of Foreign Affairs. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't that, some dudes, you're right, it was foreign. Yeah, okay, but. I like my name better, but yeah. Okay, but, you know, again. But Foreign Affairs, when when they weren't doing solely Foreign Affairs. Foreign Affairs. Foreign Affairs, I'm, I'm just putting out there, asks a certain kind of question. Yes. It's the Department <laughs> of what? Um, but anyway, so. so Inquiry minds want to know, yes. When they got their name changed, we get Treasury as well in the same month. And in within 11 days, President Washington's nominee to be the first Secretary of the Treasury was confirmed by the United States Senate. And that, oh, that so was, like September 13-ish, 14-ish? Yeah, yeah, Alexander Hamilton. Is that, is that in, that's a super short amount of time. Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this. You know, for most of the country's history, presidential nominations to run departments were not as controversial as they were today. I mean, you know, for most of our country's history, presidents pe picking people to run departments, like presidents picking justices for the Supreme Court, was considered a perk of being president. So unless they went ahead and nominated somebody, <laughs> who was clearly unqualified. Usually the United States Senate was, thank you, Mr. President. That looks good, Mr. President. Carry on, Mr. President, right? Where's my rubber stamp? Yeah, right? I mean, Junk. okay. Right. And, and particularly Hamilton. Hamilton well, had earned his chops, okay, during and, the Revolutionary War. And he wanted the job. Oh, he wanted the job in the worst way, okay? But I'm, I'm going to put to you that probably a lot of people did not want that job. No. For the, very, for the very reason we have talked about of it being a controversial, like, you know, because all of a sudden now you're saying to the states, I'm going to have to enforce the, uh, the agreements you've come to with how much you're going to give the central bank. And I'm sure the states were chafing under that. Like, what do you mean you're going to enforce it? Enforce it how? Well, I've got a comptroller and an auditor and a treasurer and a registrar and an assistant. So the six of us are going to show up and beat it out of you if you don't it, give it to us. It, and you also had the fact that the U.S. government's primary source of revenue, with the exception of the Civil War, well into the late 1800s, okay, was imposing um, if you will, taxes on imports. They call those right? customs. Yes. Okay. They were custom houses. Okay. Because taxation and, sounds so rude. And 
if the federal government did not protect U.S. exports by taxing imports at a really high level, okay, there were a whole bunch of people in a whole bunch of states that one would not be happy with the Treasury Department. Well, and the nascent, <laughs> the nascent agent would, I mean, uh, uh, the nascent uh, country, nation, would have been probably ground down by that. Yes. Right. Because okay. because Britain would have said, oh, we can't win militarily. Well, then we'll just win financially. We'll and show he, up with incredibly cheap goods. Yes. That pe- And we will just run you out of business. And then that way. And then Hamilton, he did not court any friends, okay, uh, particularly among southern states, because within days of being confirmed by the Senate, he. <laughs> He goes ahead and details the federal government's finances, basically making bare, making clear that the U.S. federal government, okay, was like seriously in debt. He recommended that the federal government assume all the nation's war debt, which the states were like, woohoo, right? Right, because the states had taken it out individually. That's right. Because until the Constitution, well, until the Articles of Confederation, Confederation. Really, the Constitution, we didn't have a United States. Yeah, because under we the had Articles a bunch of Confederation, states. yeah, under the Articles of Confederation, every state was a sovereign nation state. Right. Just a loose alliance, right? So the states on one hand liked it. But Hamilton's, if you will, tool for assuming and paying off all this debt was the creation of the first bank. Well, this immediately upset the states because each state had already created their own banking system. So their banking systems now would be in competition with the federal government's banking system. And their banking systems would eventually die because (laughs) the federal system would be larger and have more material behind it. Yeah, right? Which is why your money doesn't say one dollar of the state of South Carolina. No, it says one dollar okay. of the federal. Yes, you know, and, and of the and United they, States of America. And the Secretary of the Treasury's name is on all legal tender in the United States. <laughs> right. So that you well, because we've discussed this before briefly, so we won't go into it. But money at that time. You could take your state dollars from South Carolina, take them to New Jersey, and they would say, we don't accept South Carolina money here. Like, yeah, you know, or we'll give you pennies on that dollar because we don't know how much it's worth or what it's worth less here than it is there. Like, it was a lot of drama in going across state lines. And I know that listeners, you ought to think about do it. that. Like, it wasn't a common thing to go across state lines for most regular humans, but traders did. Yeah did go across state lines. A modern day analogy, uh, Nia, is think about when you go abroad to foreign nations. Right. One of the things you have to figure out is, okay, currency exchange. Now, most developed nations have currency exchange agreements in place, but without them? It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And that's what occurred before the United States Constitution was ratified. Because as you pointed out, you could live, okay, in northern North Carolina and do a lot of trade 
with you know, farmers in Southside Virginia. But if Virginia chose not to go ahead and accept the currency from North Carolina, well, how are you gonna pay for your transaction? Right. And, and what happens in some countries, um, Norway, I'm looking at you, is that when you go to Norway and you spend American dollars, they pay you back in krona. Yes. Because they're not going to. Yes. They're fine taking your dollars, but they're going to pay you back in krona. And there's at most um, uh, businesses where you buy things, the exchange is already in their um, in their till. So they yes. know how much to give you back. But it's funny to me that they don't that it's they don't keep dollars in order to to return dollars to you or whatever you get krona and then you spend krona for the rest of the time you're there until you come home um okay so but can i just side note that mr hamilton was in charge of many many things because what did not fall under the state department apparently fell under treasury oh my goodness yes I mean, the he department. Was, of, he was the, in the, charge the, of milking all the national goats. He was in charge of yeah, the, the know, Department of the Treasury the was kind of sort of like you know the the, the junk closet <laughs> yes. of, the, of the federal government, right? I mean, I, I'm kidding about the first two, but he but he he was in charge of the post office. Yes. Okay. The general he, land the general land office, and and by the way, for listeners, you may not know this. Okay, for most of our country's history. The United States federal government okay, owns huge tracts of property, right? And still does. And still does. I mean, the United States federal government, according to some studies, is the, is the largest you know, landowner, renter in the, in, in the country, okay? But, you know, Nia, to your point, I'm just going to give you a brief list of departments units that used to be part of the treasury department okay the postal service was part of the treasury department in 1829 okay so even though we had a postmaster general early on in our country's history the post office was part of the treasury department general land office which eventually became the interior department the commerce and labor were Treasury Department units until they became standalone departments in 1903. The Coast Guard <laughs> was part. I love was, that. But there's no reason for the Coast Guard. I mean, seriously, we had a Department of War at some point. I can't remember. Well, when early on in our War. country's history, but the Coast Guard was seen as apartment was a, a unit of the Treasury Department to make sure that all goods coming into the United States, okay, were registered and paid whatever import tax the United States Congress had decided in a given year. Secret Service, okay, the, the unit that protects the president, okay, um, is, was, part of the Treasury Department in 1865, by the way, created after who was assassinated? Lincoln. Lincoln, and remains there today. 
Secret Service is not part of the Justice Department, right? Right. Or the military. Or the military. Not either one. Okay. The Bureau of Narcotics was added to the Treasury Department in the late 1800s (laughs) until Congress made it an agency in the Justice Department, the Drug Enforcement Agency, right? The Bureau of the Budget used to be part of Treasury, okay, until 1939 when it was moved to the Executive Office of the President, uh, what we previously discussed um, in a different podcast episode, the West Wing, right? Um, so, I mean, it, it, it has been the proverbial <laughs> junk closet of the federal government uh, 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 cabinet for most of our country's history, right? It, it's funny to me because in 1789, we get, um, we get state and we get treasury, treasury and we get war. War. And it's funny to me that the Coast Guard is like, yeah, but they're not really war. No. no, no, they are, but they're not at this point. So they end up in the treasury. But those are the only three we have until 17. It, it's, it's much later that we get the, oh, no, it's in the 1800s, 18, 1849 that we get the interior. Yes. Right. So like we know a good 50 60 70 years or whatever it is with just the three departments which i think is also something that we forget and so you do have you have state which has a clear thing and you have war which has a clear thing and then you have the treasury and they're like everything else everything, everything else, else goes, will fall under the treasury, the treasury right <laughs> and remember we don't get no wonder tier. alexander hamilton wanted to be in charge of it in, yeah. in some sense it's everything like it's it touches all parts of American life. There's no one who can escape the Department and, of Treasury. And you know, and you mentioned Interior, and we're gonna we're gonna have a, a separate uh, episode about the Department of Interior. Department of Interior arises because we have a succession of presidents in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, okay, who pushed this idea of manifest destiny. Oh, oh, but we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. Okay, but I mean, but. To me, it, it really does demonstrate the power and scope of the Treasury Department, right? Yeah. He's in for, charge of everything. Alexander for, Hamilton is essentially a shadow president at this point. Like, well, yeah, it, in, it, in it, some it, ways, he's going to form it, the nation. And his proposal to create the first bank of the United States um, causes one of the most significant conflicts in President Washington's two terms as president, because the Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson, okay, vehemently opposed the creation of a federal bank. And in in Washington, Washington, Washington allowed Jefferson and Hamilton to write up position papers, okay, to see which one would persuade Washington. And it had to have killed TJ that Alexander Hamilton won. Yeah. Won that argument, considering yeah. that he was, they were from very different strata of 
public oh. life. Oh, yeah. It must have I mean, killed TJ as part yeah. of, you know. I mean, because, but if, anyway. you know, so if you move forward, okay, um, today the Treasury Department is basically um, organized um, in a bifurcated way. You have departmental offices and then you have operating bureaus, okay? The departmental offices are responsible for formulating policy and management of the department as a whole, while the operating bureaus actually carry out specific operations. So a good way to think about it is the Treasury Department today is separated um, into policy versus operations, okay? Okay. Now, in terms of basic functions, even today, the the Treasury Department has significant responsibility in regards to the nation's economy. Well, um, it, I, it, it's, what's I mean, referred, it's what's referred to as fiscal policy, taxing and spending. And, and you don't get capitalism and not have a Treasury Department. Like, you, yes. if you decide you're going to base your society on the making spending and whatevering of money, Right. Yes. Then you then the Treasury Department is going to be a huge. Powerful. If you think about capitalism in its pure essence, it is the investment and spending of capital. Right. So how do you make sure that individuals who have capital. Can invest it and spend it and get return on their investment without a treasury department. And that they can be regulated from harming those who do not have capital. Have capital. Yes. Right. Because that's part of what treasury does is regular. I mean, well, theoretically, and we could talk bitterly about big (laughs) banks and too big to fail and people not being punished properly and that sort of thing. And I hold treasury responsible for some of that. Although some of that's also Congress. I'm looking at you. You're not getting out of the room without some some saving glances. And some of it is the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates Wall Street. Okay. Some of it is the Federal Reserve. And by the way, listeners, this is a very important thing to remember because as we are recording these episodes, the Federal Reserve has been in the news quite a bit. The Federal Reserve Board, okay, is separate from the Treasury Department. In the yeah, 19- we're going to talk about Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve at some point. W- w- at some point, but the Department of Treasury has no functional control over the Federal Reserve. Um, and for some people, that's very problematic, right? Right. That's, a, that, that's very problematic, okay? But they are two separate government in, uh, entities. In fact, the Federal Reserve is, is that falls into the category of known as a government corporation, <laughs> okay? Like the post office. It's like a, the post office. It's a the weird Amtrak, thing. Yeah, it, it's a weird, if you will, entity, okay? But Nia, just think about some of the stuff that Treasury does today, and I don't, and I'm pretty sure that many Americans are unaware of this. So Treasury is responsible for fiscal policy, both domestic and international, right? So 
if you wonder, for instance, you mentioned the, uh, the, the war in uh, uh, Ukraine, okay? And the United States government has given billions of dollars in aid to the Ukrainians. The Treasury Department is responsible for the transference of money, okay, from the federal treasury to the Ukrainian government. Right. Okay. Um, tax and tariff laws. What unit of treasury is responsible? Um, I'm assuming the IRS. That you are correct. The Internal Revenue Service. Of course. Because you know, revenue. Right, that's Revenue. the whole point. Right, is the yes. custom, we're, that's the modern form of the customs house. That's right. Is and that that actual policy. What you're talking about when you talk about international policy is also sort of international tariffs, yes. and this idea of controlling how how we exchange goods in the world. You know, like goods so and money. We, so, listeners, when you hear about trade wars, okay. The IRS is involved. Right, the, the Treasury IRS, Department is involved. Yeah, because, you know, IRS imposes tariffs. And they get broad policy guidance from the Department of the Treasury, right? right. So IRS agents are not just, you know, hey, today we're just going to go ahead and impose a tariff on Japanese automobiles. No, they don't have that discretionary authority, okay? Well, That's, and... That's made in a trade deal by the, you know, uh, exactly, the, you know, the the the, uh, the the president's office, who then tells the Department of Treasury promulgate regulations to impose these tariffs. Well, okay? and if and if the president is smart, I know, but we're going to go there anyway. <laughs> if the president is smart, they will include they will include the secretary of the treasury in those discussions in terms of, okay, if I pull this string, what's it going to screw up on the other side of my sweater? Like, am I yes. going to lose an arm off my sweater? If I pull this string? Yes, sir. You are. Okay. Well then let's not do that. Like yeah. you, we need to find um, commensurate sort of tariffs so that we don't, because there's a sweet spot where it's the right amount and you still have free or you still have flow of trade where when it gets to be too much on one side or the other, then trade does all kinds of weird things and prices go up and down and people go bananas because they don't know how consumers, much it's going to cost. And then consumers get hurt. Right. And then, and then they start. Well, know, and writing, producers get hurt and it's a whole. You know, they start writing their members of Congress and then right. Congress starts holding hearings. I can't like, afford a $10,000 refrigerator or whatever. Whatever. Exactly. And, right. You know, um, but, so I think that that's an interesting thing that people don't don't realize that those levers are you, delicately moved. They are not yanked. We are talking about policy implementation. That's what you're getting at, Nita, yeah. right? And yeah, when good, the when the president says we're going to sanction so and so, the Treasury has to figure out how we're going to do that. Yes. Okay. And, <laughs> and you can't have presidents just, you know, off the top of their head saying in a press conference, yes, we're going to go ahead and sanction, for instance, the Russians because they attacked the uh, the Ukraine. You know, that should probably be vetted by not only the State Department, but the Treasury, but Treasury. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and 
while we love all of the presidents who have served, not necessarily for their personalities, but the fact that they gave service to this country, and we can admire and respect that about all of them, some of them are crazy chuckleheads who say stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not, it's not any, I mean, I would love to say that it's one party versus another, but it's not. No, I you mean, just we, get we, somebody who gets fired up about something and they say, or they say off the cuff, yeah, we're going to sanction, you know, pick, pick some Lichtenstein. And Lichtenstein's like, what did we do to you? Like, yeah, they don't, right. and then it causes an international whatever. And then the State Department's on the phone with Lichtenstein going, no, no, no. Um, they misspoke. It's okay. Everything's fine. Right. Look, we're not doing anything. It was yeah, just, you know, it was it, just it, an off-the-cuff remark. It was a joke, you know, or whatever. And, you know, it's at that point that you have a conference call, okay, in a big conference <laughs> room, okay, with the, you know, with the, with the speakerphone in the, in the middle right. of a really big conference table, where you have the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, okay, and all their minions, okay, basically reassuring Lichtenstein. And right? Lichtenstein's treasurer and yes you know, you know and state and, and di diplomatic corps yeah, min yeah minister of finance who are just like <laughs> hey guys what did we do right right you know you know oh we, the president was making a joke we didn't mean it we're not going to do anything yes. oh my goodness and then lichtenstein's like well you need to tell people that that was a joke yes like, right you need to tell people we haven't done something so then you get an inner a slight small international incident yeah um but God love but, them. Presidents will just do that sometimes. And I think it's because they run on no sleep. I think yeah, presidents you, don't sleep. You know, I think we think about, they sleep, but I think they just hang from the rafters for a couple of hours. And then, and then they like come bats. back and like, like, like bats, bats. And then they come back and they start saying stuff that you, that you say, really, sir, maybe. You know, and it's kind of sort of funny because, you know, we've talked about the office of president in a number of podcast episodes. Yeah, and, when I'm president, I'm going to sleep. Okay, and, and we've had, you know, uh, our colleague Bill Newman on, right? And we've talked about certain presidents who have been, um, shall we say, um, criticized for not being hardworking, right? <laughs> yes. But on the other hand, those were the presidents who, like, you know, got sleep, who took vacations, right? You know, and, and, and I listen to friends and you know, people I come in contact with who are like, you know, you know, so-and-so presidents, like, you know, spend a lot of time at Martha's Vineyard or, you know, on the golf course. And I'm like, I want them taking more time, right? I want them to be well-rested, okay, relaxed, because when they're on the job, they're facing decisions that many of us, okay, would be like, I have no idea how to respond to that. And I want to go to a padded room now and be hugged by my mommy. Right. Right. Okay. Right. I, I think that if you hire the right people, what the president should be is a crisis manager. Yes. Right. Okay. Like I, the rest of the time, I need you to be totally chilling because when it, when it goes down, I need you to be on 1000%. Yes. Like when it actually when we are being invaded by aliens, right? When the when yes. they land, I want Klaatu to be talking to somebody who is completely in charge of their faculties. Yes, you know, instead when, of somebody who has you know slept when the Canadian the years. Canadian government decides to go ahead and take you know Detroit, <laughs> right? Okay, I want somebody I'm, to very calm to talk to Trudeau and not please. somebody who hasn't had any sleep. 
Yes. You know, I don't need a president to act like me at the end, right. of, a long, at the end of a long school day where I've had a pot and a half of coffee, right? Okay, no. And you just want... say things. Like... Yeah, right? Okay. But back to the Treasury oh, Department. Can we talk about the mint? Well, and that's where I was going to go to next, right? So we've already talked about the IRS. And let's face it. There's like no American who loves the IRS, but nevertheless, right? But then we have the mint, okay? Everybody Inia, loves the mint. Nia, what does the mint do? It makes coins and currency. Yes. And it also, um, if you're in the middle of the night, <clears throat> you can buy all kinds of things from the mint on QVC. Or late night TV. If you okay. haven't slept in, you know, weeks, okay. you can be like, oh, coins with with flowers on them they're making a flower printing of silver quarters or whatever and you buy well how many times have you seen the advertisements nia for some aborted mint run of a coin where they didn't have the proper ratio of gold to silver to whatever and you're like wow the mint screws up that much and i can go ahead and get some of these like you know unusual defective coins but of course i want to go ahead and get those <laughs> yeah those because be it's excellent you know stocking stuffers for christmas exactly because it's four o'clock in the morning and it seems like a good idea just yes. as a side note for our listeners we are not financial advisors but we yes. are encouraging you not to buy midnight things from the anything between midnight and 7 a.m we want you to reconsider in the daylight hours let's just put it this way because of this little snippet of this podcast episode, basically any decision that you are making on very little rest at two o'clock in the morning probably isn't a good decision. Right. <laughs> I'm going to quit my job and move to Hong Kong. Okay, why don't you wait and decide if you want to do that 24 hours from now after you've had some sleep? You know, th th there should be. Not that on, there's anything wrong with Hong Kong. There should be something on Amazon right okay. <laughs> are you are you absolutely sure or it should wait 24 hours to put your order through yes right. <laughs> okay because if you the, between midnight and 7 a.m if you order anything it should yes. make you wait like it should have a waiting I mean, period the, the, the number of times where i've like had stuff delivered to my house because <laughs> i i went ahead and placed an order at 1 30 in the morning and i thought it was a really good idea oh my god i really needed it it should okay. there in some for some folks there should also be a surprise sobriety test yes because um, okay. things show up and you're like okay who ordered llama um <laughs> but anyway so but what i want to the reason i want to also mention the mint before we move on to um oh to the various other like to the cool guys who've served as treasury secretaries but the thing i want to mention about the mint is, and and the common phrase that you hear about the federal reserve is they print money the federal reserve does not print money no. that is that is the treasury only the treasury can print money. print money. It drives me bananas. It's like the same thing when people say it was very unique. It can't be very unique because unique is unique. There's a there's a meaning to that word. And yes. very does not attach. No. Similarly, the Federal Reserve does not print money. Now they might spend it like they're printing money. Or Federal but they Reserve. They themselves do not print money. 
Federal Reserve makes policy that affects how easy or difficult it is to access money. Right. Okay. So right. if the it's Federal more Reserve, complicated than you're making it. Yes. When you when say the Federal, pithily, yeah, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, it makes it more difficult for people to borrow money to then eventually spend. If they lower interest rates, it makes it easier for people to borrow money and they will hopefully then use that money to spend. But the Federal Reserve does not print money. Right. Okay. And it makes me bonkers when they say that on they, they con- The Federal Reserve controls access. Okay. But if the mint, okay, you know. If the that, mint tomorrow decided not to print money, that would be that. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and the and Federal by the way, Reserve would have to suck it up. And by the way, as part of my research for this episode, the mint is not printing as much money because neo many Americans now don't use hard currency. Right. Okay. I know I'm weird. Okay. Um, but I think uh, it keeps me from buying extra stuff that I don't need. Well, I mean, there is a psychology psychology to if you have to pull out your wallet out of a purse or out of your pocket, okay, it actually gives your brain more time to contemplate the pros and cons yeah. of purchasing something. Slows okay? you down a little bit. Yes. Okay. Um before we before we because I do want to talk about the notable treasury secretaries, because if you think Hamilton was the only one, you're wrong. Oh, goodness, no. There have been oh some really God. interesting people who have been oh. treasury secretary. But I want to remind our listeners that in 2023, the Mint will cease to print pennies. Yes. They will cease to, they don't print them, but they, they will cease to mint produce them. pennies. Yes. Produce yeah, pennies. They, they, yeah, they will no longer produce them. Yep. So when you see things that cost something, something 99, you won't be able to do that with cash. That's correct. No pennies. Or it just makes get me used, a little sad because. Or just get used to the fact that you're no longer going to go ahead and get pennies as change. Right. My um, grandmother had a penny jar. Oh, I used to roll them. I used to roll pennies from my penny jar and go down to the bank and turn them in to get dollar bills. Yeah, it makes me sad that there are not going to be pennies anymore. It, it's. It was one of and the I first get it. They cost more to, to, produce, to produce than they are worth. The, yeah, than their doesn't it cost? Value. It costs one point one cent to make one yes. cent. Yes. So you're losing money every time you do that. And the, that's why the mint is is getting rid of them. But um, but she had this huge penny jar when we were kids. We would just play in it, and she would tell us, "Okay, find me ten from this year, or find yes. me right whatever." And you just sort of it was an occupation for us when we were very little, and now that that joy will not be. But I, I think you're right that most people probably don't have coins anyway, or yes. don't have very much in the way of coins. Um, but I, I, one of the I, first I, things I Nia, that uh, that I did with my great grandfather um, was roll pennies. Um, and then uh, we would walk down to the local bank um, and exchange them for uh, dollar bills. And um, it will change tills. Yes. Yep. At some point, they'll stop making tills with a certain number of cavities. They'll have one less cavity because they won't have pennies. Yeah. Um, but anyway, 
I just wanted to point that out. If you're a penny lover, a penny collector, or anything like that, you should probably get them this year while you can, because they will cease to make them next year. Before we get to the notable treasury secretaries, guys, there's something I want to point out. Within the Department of Treasury, okay, they have various, if you will, departments. Okay, so there's various, again, the departments do the policy. So we have assistant secretaries, right? The list of them is just truly phenomenal. Okay, you want to talk about how bureaucratic the Treasury Department is. <laughs> okay, they have a deputy secretary. Okay, uh, uh, they have an undersecretary for international affairs an undersecretary for domestic finance, and an undersecretary for the Office of Terrorism in Financial Intelligence, okay? Then they also have various deputy secretaries and inspectors general who are supposed to check the work, okay, of the undersecretaries. Um, there is a main treasury building in Washington, D.C. So if you ever go to D.C., right, <laughs> there is a main treasury building. Okay. <laughs> the Department of Treasury employs over 125,000 people. Just think about that, Nia. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Okay. But you know what? In some in some ways, it's not nearly enough. We know that the IRS is actually oh, is grossly understaffed, years Gross. behind in doing yes. a lot of its work because it's not it's not been funded properly over the years. What was it uh, earlier this year? This is 2022. The commissioner of the IRS, the head of the IRS, testified in front of Congress that. The IRS was still processing tax returns from 2021. Right. That is unconscionable. Right. A year right? later. Right. Okay. Oh, you're waiting um, for your tax return? Sorry. Can't help you. We're, we're getting to it as quickly as we can. And it is literally not intentional. It is, well, I don't know. It might be intentional on the part of people who are not financing it or supporting it. Well, members of Congress, particularly uh, Republicans, um, where like the IRS has plenty of staff. Of course, the IRS was just like, you guys want us to go after more tax cheats. We need more right. IRS agents. And oh yeah, by the way, the commissioner of the IRS was also very critical of, for instance, Democrats, uh, because every time there was um, a pandemic aid package where Americans got checks, it went through the Treasury Department and the IRS. So they had to take IRS agents off of processing tax returns to actually establish who was supposed to get what amount of money in pandemic aid from the federal government. <laughs> yeah, I the IRS is complicated for me because I don't understand why the IRS operates the way it does. The IRS should send me a bill. I should look at the bill, I should look at their reasoning on the bill, and if I agree with it, I should pay it. And if I don't agree with it, I have X number of days to fight it, to, to lodge a, no, 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 this isn't good, I want an investigation. And it's kind of sort of funny you mentioned that, Nia, because the 
current system where your employer is supposed to take money out of your check right was was to, supposed to make <laughs> the payment of income taxes easier right because you didn't have to save up for a full year and then write a check and <laughs> yeah i know i know i want to go back to the 1920s but not really uh, so, so but 125,000 people but actually that's not nearly enough in some instances oh i mean hey i mean you, you so if you want if you want to think about doing the tax returns of 300 million people million, yes or even if you take out all the kids 200 million people that's if still take, if you take out the kids and those who don't have to pay income taxes because they don't make enough money okay you're still talking about Okay, well over 200 million Americans. Right. Okay, like, who, uh, it, 125,000 in the face of that doesn't look, doesn't it, look it, like it's nearly enough. Yeah. So can oh, we talk about some? Can we, yes. can we mention one other thing that's, that's embedded in this Treasury Department? Yeah, what's that? And it's not just that it's embedded in the Treasury Department. There is an office of the general counsel in every single department. Every yes. single department has a lawyer. Well, yes. they have a staff of lawyers who are supposed to leap in front of certain things and say, sir, you can't do that. That's illegal. Yes. Like, like the IRS cannot show up at your house and shake you down for money. That's no. illegal. Right. And general counsel's like, sir, you may want to do that, but it's a terrible idea. You can't just go around shaking people down for money. That's not how this works or I whatever. I like, tell my students all the time who, who are thinking about going to law school and becoming lawyers. I'm like, guys, you ought to consider going to work for the federal government because right. they said every general department <laughs> has a general counsel's office. Yep. Um, and it's not just the Justice Department. Okay, um, it is every department, and for that matter, typically every other organization Agency, with, right. with, within the federal government has their own legal counsel's office. Right. And their job is to do what you just described. Okay? Jump in front of things that are going to cause problems. Or cause problems. And also, they're the same ones who vet every potential regulation. Right. So before the IRS sends out their, you know, annual updates of quote unquote guidance, okay, about how you can fill out your tax returns, what you can go ahead and write off and what you can't, it's already been vetted by, wait for it, lawyers. Right. Okay. Um, so now- That's why gonna... most of the time those regulations just pass into law because- yeah, they've or, already or pass into the regulatory body because yes. they've been vetted oh, and, and, by lawyers trying to find every single problem that could cause a lawsuit for the agency. Like and, they yes, you know. and, and you're not gonna make as much money being a government attorney, but you want to have about, steady work. <laughs> yes. I mean you'll have steady work, steady work until right? the end of the empire, in yes. which point you will have larger problems. Yes. Until the fall of the republic, exactly. you can go ahead and cash, okay, a paycheck from the federal government if you're an attorney, right? <laughs> can we, okay, so I know we don't have a whole lot longer on our episode, but I want to mention a couple of people 
just because of their names. Oh, yes. Um, so I know, of course, we have Hamilton, right? He's the first. He's the flashiest. So now yes. people have got to be uber flashy in order to get past his flashiness, yes. um, which some of them managed to do. But can we just briefly mention Salmon Chase? Oh, Salmon Chase. Yes. Can I just say Salmon Chase is such a unusual, a yuppie white guy? Harvard graduate name like Biff, right? Like Salmon Chase. Either that, or it's a or it's a like a development where you build apartments. Where do oh, you yeah, live? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. live in Salmon Chase. Yeah. You know, like the, like that's such a great name. He's one of Lincoln's rivals, right? One of the team of rivals. Yes. People Salmon who Chase. didn't really like Lincoln all that much that he hired. Yeah, sa- yeah. Salmon Chase ran against Lincoln for the Republican Party nomination for president in. Uh, 1860. Um, he quite obviously lost uh, uh, to Lincoln. Uh, Salmon Chase uh, was a former governor of Ohio. He was a vehement um, uh, abolitionist. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, he really good for him. He pushed Lincoln very, very hard on producing the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay. Ah, okay, so we like Sam and Chase, not just for his money, but also for his politics. Well, in, in what's really unusual, Nia, I don't know if you picked up on this uh, in reading the list, but the number of former secretaries of treasury who ended up <laughs> working or uh, serving on the Supreme Court is just truly phenomenal. Oh, Roger Taney. Roger Taney. Okay. Taney, who's one yeah. of, I think, one of your favorites. Well, right? uh, I mean, well, infamous know. favorites, you know, yeah, in the yeah. sense of like people that you can point to and go, dude, well, seriously. Yeah. yeah, he was the chief <laughs> justice after John Marshall, and he actually penned the infamous Dred Scott decision. Right. right? Okay. Um, we got Sam and Chase. Um, we also had. Uh, oh, Sam and Chase was on the scope. Yeah, yeah, he became chief, chief justice of, oh. of, the, of the Supreme Court. Um, um, Fred Vinson, who was picked by Truman uh, to be the Secretary of Treasurer, Treasury, uh, also became Chief Justice. And by the way, he was picked to be Chief Justice when Robert Jackson thought he was going to be promoted to be Chief Justice. And when he didn't get it, Okay, he accused Truman of reneging on a promise that FDR made to him. And he also accused a couple of his colleagues on the Supreme Court of sabotaging his promotion to be Chief Justice, right? Right. Okay. But, but, I mean, but Truman's response to that was, uh, another man made you a promise, not me. Yeah, I didn't make that like, promise. I'm, I'm, I'm not yes. breaking any promises. I didn't make you any promises. Okay, so, so Andrew Mellon, isn't uh, Mellon our our um, sort of black sheep treasurer? In that, was it Mellon who he gets indicted by the uh, the Roosevelt administration uh, for tax and gives, fraud and gives an art collection? Yes, right. Okay. He gives the art collection and then he manages to sort of swan out of there without yeah. too much damage. So, one so of the, for episode for more on that, you can see one of our summer episodes about um, 
Um, the, the National uh, Gallery. The National Gallery, right? So Andrew Mellon uh, was one of the leading industrialists. Um, that's the polite way. Uh, uh, the, I'm saying the Robert writers. Barron. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, those who are critical would say he was one of those robber barons of the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? Um, and if you're from Western Pennsylvania, uh, like I am, um, uh, the Mellon family is very prominent even today in Western Pennsylvania, right? Andrew Mellon was the Secretary of the Treasury, okay, for Presidents Harding. Coolidge, and Hoover. And ask yourself, kids, what do those presidents have in common? They were at the beginning or during the Great Depression. Okay. So if this is so the, the Secretary of Treasury during the Great Depression, so perhaps was, his policies weren't the best. Yeah, he was, he was the Secretary of the Treasury during the Roaring Twenties, right? Everything's great. Everything's great. Um, it's going to be great forever. <laughs> yes, um, and and uh, uh, his philosophy was debt and tax reduction, right? Um, classic, if you will, you know, Republican, you know, government should not spend money. The government should have a balanced budget, okay? And this was known as the Mellon Plan, right? If we reduce taxes on businesses, businesses will go ahead and invest. And when they invest, they will employ more Americans, okay, et cetera, et cetera. And that was fine until, as you pointed out, the, uh, the Great Depression hit. And the federal government had tax policies that could not generate enough revenue to help out all those Americans who were losing their jobs, losing their homes, okay, couldn't put food on the table, okay, et cetera, et cetera. Hoovervilles. Yes. FDR comes into office, okay, and he wants to send a very clear message to the American public, okay, that, okay, the wealthy elites of American society are going to pay for their sins. Dang it. And who did he target? <laughs> Andrew Mellon. And, and, and there's, I mean, historical <laughs> question about whether Mellon was any worse than any other, but he was he was very publicly convenient. Yes. Which I think, I mean, FDR as, needed to make a public statement and he picked somebody who people had heard of, who people, like, if you picked a billionaire that nobody had heard of. And Andrew Mellon was not sympathetic. I mean, let's face right. it. Right. He okay. was kind of a flaming jerk. Okay. Like, yes. Personally. Okay. I mean, if you saw, you know, photos of him, you were like, you know, you know, pinched upper crust elite, okay, um, who wasn't suffering during the Great Depression. In fact, he wasn't paying any taxes, okay? Right. I mean, and, 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 and as we discussed with the episode on the National Gallery, the way he had gotten around paying taxes for years was that he would loan his art collection, okay, to various art galleries, okay, and be able to write off okay, the appreciated value every year of this loaned art collection, which he still owned, <laughs> which he still owned, okay? But we, we've had other very prominent secretaries of the treasury. Well, immediately after you get Henry Morgenthau. Yeah. And who Morgenthau looks like a bureaucrat. Oh my gosh, his 
under in the dictionary under the word bureaucrat there's just a little picture of it oh yes and he looks like a guy who's like sir i've been looking at the accounts right like like every sentence he says is going to start that way he's yes nondescript you know nameless faceless okay but this is the guy who was instrumental in setting up the works progress administration um in the public works uh art project which we discussed in a previous podcast episode um he came up with the financing for uh world war ii uh which was the marketing of war bonds right i mean he's he's brilliant okay um and after or as the war was coming to a a conclusion um, he chaired the infamous Bretton Woods Conference in New Hampshire, which ended up creating the, in effect, the international post-war economic system that we even have today. Because it was that conference that created the International Monetary Fund and the world, what became eventually the World Bank. And again, that's that idea, you know, that if you tie together the world's nation states financially, you make it really, you, yeah, you make it really difficult for them to want to go to war, because if they go to war, they would be harmed as much as any nation that they may have attacked, that they might attack. Okay. Um, we've so- already... Yeah, go ahead. So um, I, I know that they're like, I, I want to throw out George Schultz out here because, right, George Schultz, in my childhood, you just couldn't figure out what secretary, what he was secretary of because he was secretary of everything. So like at some point his name was going to come up in my youth, not my childhood, but my youth, right? Because he, well, no, he was in the Nixon administration and wasn't he later in Nixon, ford reagan and bush 41 right so it is my child my early childhood into my into my early adulthood right like what's george schultz in charge of now because podcast listeners um uh when me and i did an episode with bill newman you know we talked about george schultz and um other if you will department heads they were of an era to where they were kind of sort of, how can I describe it? Um, you, they were such good managers. Right. You, you could put them in, you know, the department of treasury for two or three years and they would do a good job. But then if you were president and you had, a need to uh, clean up a different agency, you could put them there and they would do a solid job. They were just good bureaucrats, right? right? They were good bureaucrats. And, and, and George and, Schultz is one of those. Yeah, he was one of those, right? Uh, but uh, he does hold the distinction uh, uh, along with Elliot Richardson as being uh, um, one of two people who held four different cabinet level positions. George Schultz was labor, OMB, Treasury, and State. I mean, it's just phenomenal, right? Yeah, well, and 
says a lot about him that he was trusted with all those different yes. and that and that generally speaking i think both sides of the aisle thought that he was a good bureaucrat yeah he was well I, don't, I don't know of a lot yeah. of democrats who are like that darn george schultz like that's just not a thing that people said about him he no. was enough he was a moderate enough that he was equally acceptable to both sides yeah and he um, was part of, he was unlike part of, the first female treasury oh, secretary who is yes. janet yellen yeah the current janet secretary yellen. yes the current secretary of the treasury in the Biden administration is our first female treasurer treasury secretary and but, she it's funny because when she was federal reserve chair she was not particularly controversial no um, no she was also, I think, the first female Federal Reserve Chair. Sure, she was. Yeah. Um, but she was not particularly controversial. But man, you toss her over into Treasury. In, in, and now in, there's, well, but part of that too is the economy is doing, yeah. as we record this, the economy is doing funky things. Can we, can we agree that funky <laughs> might be a word we could, like, some people are like, it's a disaster. We're on the edge of a, of a, new depression we're all gonna be eating dirt soon right like there's that there's that side of the world and then there's side of the world that's like this is a bump in the road and it's all going to be fine and everything's going to be fine probably the truth is somewhere in the middle but 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 right now oh she's just getting lambasted she's getting beaten up and part of it is because she actually said something out loud which bureaucrats never do and i don't know why somebody didn't jump in front of her and tell her not to do this she said i'm sorry i was wrong about some stuff and that apparently set off an entire like lunacy on the fringes of both parties yes and and part of me wants to say people it is not bad to admit when you were wrong like that's a good thing because then you can correct yeah, in, 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 from having in, been wrong. In listeners, what Nia is referencing is the fact that um, as early as um, uh, summer of 2021, um, there were some signs that the U.S. economy was um, uh, enduring some inflationary pressures. And the Biden administration, including Secretary of the Treasury uh, Yellen, um, uh, made uh, made the claim that um, uh, these inflationary pressures would be transitory, um, maybe a quarter, maybe two. Okay, but as we are recording, we're now almost a year into yeah. some of the some She's of the like, highs. I was some probably of, wrong about the transitory, and we're like, you think? Yeah, okay. you think it might have been so. A little bit that she was out of touch, I think. Yeah, but you know, Nia, to your point, and this is where we were going to end up, and this is where we started. Okay, when she owned up to the fact that the Treasury Department, specifically, and the Biden administration generally, may have misread, okay, the depth of inflation in the United States. As you pointed out, progressives on the left and conservatives on the far right just they just went off the rails. Well, 
and it reflects what we have historically seen in regards to criticism of the Treasury Department. Right, because right? one side thinks they're not aggressive enough. And by the way, that used to be the Republicans, and now it's the Democrats, because yes. as we know, every so often it's like the polar shift where you get <laughs> north and south shift is same thing. Um, but one side thinks they're not aggressive enough and they need to be more aggressive and out there, you know, protecting blah, blah, blah. And then the other side's like, oh, they're too aggressive. They're ruining capitalism. Oh, my gosh. No, there's no free market in the blah, 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 blah. It, it doesn't matter, by the way, which side is named what, because those are always the arguments, right? That's been the yes. argument since Hamilton down to Yellen is one side's telling them they need to be more aggressive and the other side is telling them they need to be less aggressive because and the, the treasury secretary has to walk that line line because the core purpose of the treasury department is fiscal policy how does the government use its taxing right. and spending authority okay to regulate and manage the nation's economy and there is nothing that makes people more insane than money that's right okay I mean, think about, for instance, Nia, you, you used as an example a few moments ago, um, uh, the Treasury Department's role in the bailouts of the too big to fail industries during the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009. Right? Bullcrap. Yes. Okay. But <laughs> one, of the more, one of the more fascinating things for me when I teach the Great Recession in my public policy class is how my students, no matter where they fall on the ideological spectrum, are highly critical of the Treasury Department's role in the bailout. The liberals, okay, frequently are like, the Treasury Department should have prosecuted those CEOs, okay, that were running fast and loose, okay, and, and avoided government regulations. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then you have conservatives who are like, we shouldn't have bailed them out. Okay, that's a morally, morally hazardous condition, right? Yeah, okay. I feel both of those things. Okay, we should have let the, the market recover on its own. Exactly. Right? And, 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 and I'm just- truly... If we believe in capitalism, <laughs> and if we believe that the free market will in fact correct, then we have to get out of its way and let it do that. And if, if people get hurt, people get hurt. But the problem was people who were getting hurt were yeah, it wasn't going to be retirees. Yeah, it wasn't going to be their the money CEOs. in Goldman Sachs. In, yeah, it wasn't going to be the CEOs that got really hurt. Right. It was going to be all the retirees who saw their investment income just dry up. Right. Okay. It was going to be all those Americans who went ahead and took out home mortgage loans okay, who were now all of a sudden underwater, and it was going to be all of the classified staff, custodians, etc., that worked for these two big-to-fail companies, who all of a sudden would lose their jobs. Right. Right? Yeah, it, which just goes to show what Augie's point is about every single thing that we talk about in government, which is that it's complicated. I'm going to get him a t-shirt, that he can just that he can wear all the time. I'm gonna get it in a bunch of colors so that he can just wear it every day and then he can just point to his chest and be like, it's complicated. Because there is nothing, there is no lever in government that you don't shift a little bit, that it doesn't shift something else. 
Yeah. There's no, right? Yes, we could go after, you know, all those different Jamie Dimon and all those. Sorry, he's the one that leaves to mind because he's been talking about hurricanes lately, financial hurricanes, Games. which is yes. quite the image. Thank you, Jamie. Um, but like all of those guys, we could have gone after those guys, but you're right. When that company goes under, who it hurts are a lot of what I think of as regular people. Yes. Right, just regular folk. It, yes, it might hurt Jamie Dimon, but it's also going to hurt. You're right. The the janitorial staff and the secretaries and the people who need those jobs in order to make to continue living, and it's going to hurt all of the investors. And some of them yes. I don't care about hurting because they're gazillionaires, but a lot of them are not, and I care about hurting those people. And it becomes complicated. So that's what Augie always says to me every time I'm like, I have decided this black and white thing. Augie's like really here hold my beer for a second and then he proceeds to destroy my idea of so is this another is simple good or bad which is so is this going to be uh, another uh, dream crushing well no i mean you, you were in talking this about sense it's a good thing so this is good uh, you were talking about t-shirts it's complicated so is this yes. going to be part of the podcast um uh, <laughs> <Swag>. what <laughs> merch yes. merch the merch yes yes it's complicated okay um, it's complicated but, arbitrary and capricious but it's a good exactly yes. oh my gosh we should just have a t-shirt printed with all of them and then we could just point to which one yes yeah was the appropriate phrase this time but i wanted to thank you for that because it is a reminder the treasury is a perfect reminder of how you are not going to get it right because someone yes. is going to say you didn't go far enough or you went too far too far and then and, and how and does that job and that's, what, and that's what we frequently debate in regards to the role of government in the economy right because there are going to be some people who say the government should have a more active role in regulating the economy and right. others who are going to say the government should have less exactly because, get your hands off the economy and let it run the way it's going to run and run but it, 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 there's a lot of people who rely on the government right. to to mitigate, okay, some of the extremities within an economy. Um, and I don't really think most of us understand why it's so important to have a functioning treasury department that is populated by hopefully really intelligent people who can make the kinds of trade-offs that let's face it, members of Congress might not necessarily always understand. Patience. You know, that's what we're counseling is patience yeah, and it, kindness because it, yeah, no mean, one has a crystal ball. If she could have seen where this was going, she'd fixed it. Nobody could foresee how the pandemic was going to affect the nation's economy. So on that happy note, I... <laughs> I would like to declare right now, I do not want to be Secretary of the Treasury. So we have, we've actually- You have left me with a job I do not want. Oh and my that's goodness. unusual Let's... because usually you like leave me wanting more because then I have all these different powers. But well, I'm looking listeners... at these powers and saying, oh, the only thing I really want is to keep minting the penny. Listeners, we and have that a first- sailed. We have a first in the <laughs> podcast episode. As we yep. conclude this episode- we I don't want to first. be the Secretary of the Treasury. <laughs> okay, we've identified at least one, you know, upper echelon federal government job that Nia does not want. Wow. 
That's historic. <laughs> Thank you, Augie. Thank you. So Nia. We, we're going to talk about interior next, I guess. Oh, no, no, no. We have the. Uh, oh, war. war. Oh, we look at me skipping war. right over war. Look at that. Yes. I'm such a peacenik. <laughs> Is that even that a, a word? <laughs> I don't think that's a word. I think I just. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. That, that was from the, the 1960s. Is it? Did they call yes. them peaceniks? Yeah, peaceniks. Okay. okay. Uh, that was one of the more diplomatic. Before I was born, but... That was one of the more diplomatic labels. Oh, okay. okay. As opposed to long hair hippies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> But, and by the way, uh, listeners, by no stretch of the imagination is Nia a peacenik, okay? <laughs> I, I, am, I would like to have peace, yes. but I would like to have it um, but you understand with the awareness that. of veiled threat. <laughs> right? so, like so, with so iron you, fist in a velvet glove. See, I so want you, everybody to get along, but I'm willing to make everybody get along if I have to. So you're a subscriber. I don't know to, what that I don't know what that is. So you're a subscriber to the Teddy Roosevelt um, uh, exactly. You walk know, softly, walk softly, but carry a big stick. Carry a big stick. <laughs> yep. Don't make me hit you with my big stick. We could just walk softly together. See, don't so, you want it? You, I want you to want peace, but I will help you want peace if you don't want it naturally on your own. I will encourage you. Exactly. <laughs> I will sidle up next to you with my big stick and say, see this big stick? This big stick is going to make you change your view. This sounds a lot like, you know, LBJ's the treatment to me. <laughs> But if we I were tall enough to be able to, I'm five and three, so there's no way I could pull that off because he used to loom over people and pull them in close and yes, be all yes. like, you want to do what I want you to do. And they'd be like, yes, sir, please let go of me. Right. I, I can't pull that off. So I have to have a big stick. So we get to explore that in our next episode, listeners. It, well yes. done. <laughs> See Thank you, Augie. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.